Hi, everybody. This is Kerry from Donegal. And Rob from Glasgow. Welcome. Welcome to, to the, the Celtic, Celtic Tales Chronicles. Chronicles. We're Nailed it. Get there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> People will be impressed by how professional that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this Chronicles is it's a podcast that examines some of the strange and wild stories that can be found along the west coast of Ireland. Yes, and today we're going to be taking a break from some of the serious stuff we've been talking yeah. about recently and talking about something that's been on my mind for, well, my entire life. Cool. You mean the meaning of life? Where do we go when we die? Why does the Irish government refuse to build infrastructure in Donegal, the fastest ageing county in Ireland? Things like that. Those are all very important questions, Rab, but no. Today, we are going to talk about Irish fashion. Woo! Woo! In honour of my upcoming flea market stall at the Galway Flea Style Market, today we're talking about fashion, clothing, accessories, all that stuff. And be sure to pop down on June 4th to Aris Nagale on Dominic Street from 12 noon to 5pm. I will be selling a myriad of vintage and pre-loved items from my wardrobe like dresses, skirt suits, funky tops and more. Oh my goodness. That's so cool. June the 4th. And you know what? I'm getting a flash of David Bowie. Fashion. There's a song. Anyway. Okay. So if you want to, the chance to meet one of the world famous hosts of this podcast, <laughs> the most famous podcast in existence, you need to do that. Write it in your diary now. 4th June, Sunday, 12 to 5 p.m. Horace Nagel. All right. Right. So what are we doing today? What are we chatting about today? So- Today, we're going to take a whistle-stop tour of the highlights in Irish fashion throughout the ages, from mythic tales, the ancient Celts, Oscar Wilde, the classic clad fashion of the early 1900s in Galway, to the iconic Gucci GAA shorts, courtesy of Paul Meskel. Oh, oh my goodness. I can actually feel some of the audience fainting with wonder. Like, oh my, <laughs> they've been waiting for this for a long time. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, we cannot... I mean, there's other things as well in Irish history that are very famous, like there's Jedward, the 2011 Eurovision, or Kerry, I remember you last week, those cowboy boots, I was stunned. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> there's there's a lot there, and people, yeah, uh, there's so much, there's so much. Yeah, and so that, you I, can, yeah, sorry, I, go on. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much, and I was thinking, do we want folk to, if they've got thoughts on fashion, can they email us? Should they do that? Yeah, you can email us at theCelticTalesChronicles at gmail.com if you have a favourite fashion moment in Irish history that we missed out on. And we might include it in an upcoming episode during our Celtic Callers segment. So send us a voice message, send us an email. That would be great. Yeah. Lots of today's info comes from a TG Cahar show in 2018 called Snotter. It was a six-part series hosted by Kira Doherty, and it's well worth a watch. So anyway, that's enough of the housekeeping and the credits. Let's get into it. So distinct Irish fashion has always been a huge part of our culture. When you think of the ancient Celts in Ireland, you think of tunics, gold jewellery, and beautiful brooches. Yeah, their clothes showed their states within the tribe. And if you're an important member of the tribe, you could wear a neck torque of gold, silver, or iron 
decorated with wee patterns. And you can see some of those Iron Age artifacts in the Galway City Museum. And they're definitely a, a source of my hashtag fashion inspiration, definitely. Oh, me too. They're fantastic. And my grandmother actually had a shop when my father was growing up and they sold replicas of the Tara brooch, probably mostly to tourists, but a very cool thing nonetheless. Um, and we were clearing out her house over the last couple of months um, and I found a replica Tara brooch and I am obsessed. I definitely will be wearing it this winter. Uh, I know I'm going to be one of those old ladies with brooches and long grey hair and generally otherworldly vibes. Oh, you know what? You've already got otherworldly vibes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm wondering where I can get these tar brooches, or where can we get the vibes? Where can, can you get otherworldly vibes and done stores? That's I want to know. I think we'll have to go check next week, but I think you definitely have them too. I, I thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're gonna zoom past a couple thousand years now. In can the we 1800s. pause for a minute? Because I yep. was a bit confused when we, were, when we were setting this up. Because Scotland's fashion, when you go back to the Iron Ages. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, it meant stripping yourself naked, painting yourself blue, putting red dye in your hair, and then running about like a fucking mad one with an axe and just chop folk up. But we're not. That sounds talking like about... a Saturday night in Glasgow, to be honest. Yeah, maybe it's just a Glasgow thing. Okay, All maybe, right. maybe it is. Okay, so I just want to put that in there. There's. There's a, there's a richness to Celtic culture, and that's one of the ones. We're not going to do that now. We're going to focus on Irish ones. All right. Perhaps we could do an upcoming upcoming episode on Scottish fashion throughout the year, as that would be actually, I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I, I remember just... <laughs> reading the horrible yeah. history books when I was a child and hearing about the people painting themselves blue and heading into battle in the nip, and I was like, that's very brave. Fair play. Yeah, fair play. You know what? They might not have painted themselves blue. They might just have been blue because it's fucking freezing over there. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. Good point. I, I, I've not tried it. I'm not going to try it. But anyway, so, okay. Let's just move beyond that. We're going to move beyond worldly vibes. We're going to move beyond done stores. We're going to, we're going somewhere else now. Take us somewhere non-nude and non-cold, Kerry. Go with it. I'll do so in the 1800s, um, sorry, we're going to zoom past a couple thousand years now into the 1800s. So in the T.G. Cahar series, Johnny Dillon reveals that there was a lot of superstition in Ireland at that time. And I would say that there still is, to be honest. Every time I see a single magpie, I'm waving at it. I'm saluting it. I'm just as superstitious as someone from the 1800s. Yeah, I, you know, I've got lots of B-stories sometimes in my show. But yeah, there's definitely... Um, Lots of things, and in the folklore as well, it's like fairies in the color red, you know. So, fairies were careful about red, so a red ribbon would be blessed and placed in a pram that could protect your babies from any sort of nefarious characters. And red was also a popular color generally. And I have a quote here from an article on Norman Falligut's article, Irish Fashion The Thread Celtic Heritage. A glimpse at some of the traditional shawls worn in Inish Man demonstrate how truly important colour was in the lives of rural Irish communities. Red petticoats and plaid shawls were quite often the norm. In fact, red was a key tone. Red wool was frequently knitted or woven with grey and white colour accents, ensuring that island textiles were infused with a cheery dash of vitality. 
I read something a while ago and I don't remember exactly where it was. So I'm not citing my source, but it was about the women in the Clada in Galway wearing red skirts um, and having a plain red skirt if they were single and a, a blue stripe in their skirt if they were married. Mm-hmm. I think it was something in that vein. So listeners, if you know about this, please correct me if I'm misremembering it. You know what? If they didn't do it, they should be doing it now. I know some clad yeah. women, but I'm going to forget, make sure they get the right colours when they're out and about. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I love I love colours. I love, um, you know, again, when people are making colours, they have to use things like seaweed, they have to use berries, they have to use lichen. The colours get, all the different colours we get in the cloths traditionally going way back, they all came from quite magical parts of nature. And I think mm. that's why magic is touched you know color has a magical element to it and especially when you're talking about red red is definitely a magical color all around the world and in ireland definitely connected with the fairies and it's an interesting thing with in ireland here listeners we've got our own version of mermaids they're called the meros and they're they're pretty wild creatures the meros Mm. but they they wear red hats with feathers on them yeah. And I remember hearing you tell a story about that, Rob. And the Mero hats are not only fancy, but they're also very practical. So I remember when the Meros come onto land, they take the shape of cows. And this magic hat lets them resume their shape and return to the sea. But if they lose their hat, they have to stay a cow. So red is important for immortal beings as well as humans. And I wear a lot of red. And I wouldn't fancy having to stay a cow. So I'll definitely be keeping that in mind. Yes, Terry is not a cow. <laughs> Let's just clarify this. She's a mermaid, so it's fine. It's okay. All right, I'm going to put on my series hat now, my red series hat. Okay, Kerry. Now, I know, because we're both digging into different things, there's an English novelist, William Thackeray, who wrote big, big novels, and he travelled to Ireland in the 1840s to research his novel, Barry Lydon, and he discovered... There was distinctive items of local dress, such as red petticoats and heavy knitted socks. And those socks are still worn today as part of traditional Irish dancing costume, complete with, you know, the wild curly hair and Celtic-inspired iconography on their dresses. More of that later. And unfortunately, listeners, like so much of Irish history, we do need to mention the Brits. By that, I mean the British people. <laughs> Although the Irish... Ac- ac- Who are lovely and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. we are we are not going to get into that <laughs> on record although the Irish aristocracy and bourgeoisie wanted to wear what they knew you know was the latest thing in Paris and London as part of the colonial policy in Ireland at this time trade restrictions were imposed um, by London governments on Irish clothes and clothing industries so traditional Irish clothing at this time pretty much reigned supreme do you know what it's just really weird. I think Britain was trying to figure out, was Ireland part of Britain? Was it a colony? Was it a foreign country? But you know what? At the end of the day, yeah, it's okay not to have had British fashion. Mm. I'm just going to say, we've just finished watching the British royal wedding and the royal family and hashtag frumpy, hashtag WTF, hashtag <laughs> Who the fuck designed that? Hashtag, <laughs> why would you ever wear? I'm just going to say, 
I they've had issue. Okay. Throw her hands okay. up and say, "Not for me." Not for me. I would not want to dress like a member of the British royal family. Mm. Yeah. yeah, me neither. And coming back to that, I have been told more than once that I look like the 1870s painting of a Connemara girl by Augustus Nicholas Burke. Thank you. When I cover my hair with a scarf in the rain. So say if I'm, you know, walking into town and I didn't do the classic Galway thing of putting a raincoat in my bag, I'll use my scarf to cover my hair. Um, because for listeners that don't know, my hair is down to my bum. So if it gets wet, it makes my whole back wet. So it's just not worth it. So I'm covering myself with a scarf and end up looking like the Connemara girl. And I didn't know that this painting was so iconic until I came to college because my parents actually have a copy of it in our house when I was growing up. Oh. And I just thought it was like a random painting. I had no idea it was so famous. And this kind of look really spawned the whole peasant chic vibe and i don't know rob if you've heard about that peasant chic ah well no peasant chic i <laughs> it's uh you know it's um folk who are peasants and probably haven't worked uh very much they're quite you know people are quite well off and they can afford to co-op the aesthetics of lower long wronged folk you know you know or, you know, I wouldn't say poor as such, but people who do kind of work and mm. labour and stuff, and they can actually co-opt their aesthetics for their own kind of social capital and relatability. And even though they they are quite privileged, but they're taking on the kind of... What do you mean there's a word for it now about this? Is that There's a word, and I'm trying to remember the word is... Um, you know what, I can't remember. But there is a word for it when you take other folks' cultures or other folks' identity and you wear it just as a fashion thing. That's a big Oh, thing. like cultural appropriation. Cultural appropriation. Yeah. Genie yeah, Mac. I think there's a big thing with like, this is getting off topic now, but um, like the Kardashians and like other famous people um, taking aesthetics from, you know, lower income communities and stuff and kind of, making it seem like they made it up or it's their own thing. And yeah. It'd be yeah. an interesting topic to explore at a later stage. But um, yeah, it's a big thing of people kind of dressing, especially in Galway, dressing in a very sort of hippie sort of way. But then they're going home to like the flat that their parents pay for. So it's kind of like, mm, <laughs> I have some thoughts. But anyway. That's okay. Topic. Okay, we love everybody. That's fine. We do. You know, sometimes it's just folk go through that before they find their own identity. We all go through. Yeah, moments, that's so. true. That's true. I'm, I'm, I'm spreading I'm, the love today, Kerry, because you know what? Good. You're raining me at. in with my cynical sentiments. I'm shocked. It's like my God, Connemara girl gets attitude. It's like, oh, <laughs> dear me. Okay, so back to it. So two photographers of the Paris-based Cannes Foundation, Marguerite Mespoulet and Marguerite Mignot, I think, came to Ireland in May 1913 and they photographed women in traditional dress and the peasant chic look heavily influenced the upper class fashion then at that time. And women such as Lady Donsani helped publicize this look. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I... I... It's one, of the, it's one of these things where fashion does take things from places. And, it's, and it, there is, okay, you're talking about cultural appropriation, but it gets really weird because fashion for me is a craft, it's an art, and there is that mm. question of how much you can actually absorb other things. I mean, I'm a storyteller and I'm constantly 
absorbing things from folklore and myth and family. And yeah, that it's and then reinventing it and making it something huge. Yeah, it's it's uh, this is why I find fashion is fascinating. But I also like the other side of it. I was talking earlier about the dyes, where you get the dyes from traditionally. Mm. But then you've also got the whole idea of the people who are working to make those clothes. And here's an interesting thing, Kerry. So that's a skill in itself, and it's hard work in itself. And it, and just so, that's just that'd be interesting to tell you that my sister, who is also a wonderful storyteller, mm. her son's wife, Morgan, is uh she's a weaver. Hey, Morgan. Yeah. Hey, Very Morgan. good. I'm giving a shout out now. So I was actually when I knew you were going to get into your fashion thing. I gave Morvan a wee shout and I was chatting to her about, you know, the whole weaving thing. And she was explaining the differences between mechanised weaving and then kind of weaving by hand. And She's done both, but now she works with the mechanised and there's definitely a, a massive difference. She's saying, she was telling me that, so if you're doing mechanised weaving, she can get through like 30 or 40 metres of cloth. Wow. Every oh hour or two, just boom, 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 boom. But if she does hand weaving, well, it's like, you know, that amount of time, you'd maybe only create 20 centimetres of cloth. You know, it's a lot more time consuming. Yeah. So what kind of things does she produce? Oh, there's lots of things. There's um, headscarves, fabrics, throws, um, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's lots of stuff. But, of course, you know, talking about peasant chic and all that, there are other ways of being fashionable, Kerry. I mean, if you want to get into the, the Glasgow storyteller mode, um, <laughs> I will happily send you, sell you my clothes. Just, you know, I'll start the bidding at 100 euros and you can you can dress like me. I can be your peasant and you can... <laughs> you heard it here first. If you want to buy Rab's clothes, drop us a line. If you want to get the, the Glasgow storyteller chic. Absolutely. Definitely. That's what you need to do. So, um, now... You know what? We're talking about Irish fashion. And there is Mr. Fashion himself. We're not talking mm-hmm. about me. <laughs> We're talking about somebody who's almost as fashionable as me. And um, it's a six foot three playwright. He's got a statue in Shop Street. And it's none other than Mr. Oscar Wilde. <gasps> bisexual, extravagant, menace to society. His greatest work, in my opinion, is The Ballad of Red and Jail. And I performed it with did I perform with Sandra Coffney in the Town Hall Theatre many years ago? So I'm a lovely oh, fan of Oscar Wilde. Yeah, I think yeah, it's hard to it's hard to sort of be an Irish creative and not have him crop up for you because he's just he he was such a huge part of the culture and he was a fashion legend and the uh, dandy style of fashion would not have existed in the same way without him. He was a firm believer that clothing should be beautiful but practical and I definitely feel that way too. He was an advocate for the end of tight lacing which was a form of corsetry that made women unable to bend at the oh, waist yeah. um, and as someone who of course you know did the classic goth phase as a teenager I have worn corsets and I'll tell you it's great if you want to stand <laughs> with a very straight back it's great if you're trying to fix your posture but if you want to do anything that involves moving much yeah. not great. No, um, they look painful. Yeah, it's and definitely, to, it's, it's beauty I, is pain. 
And the other thing about the corsets traditionally used to use, um, what did they call that stuff from? Whale's mouths, but you know, the, is it the baleen or something? That kind of that's what they used to use. Mm. The kind of the, the elastic, firm elastic, the, the bands in it were made from dead whales. There's another reason. Yeah, it was actually bone, like it was called, you know, made with boning. And nowadays they're made with plastic boning, but it used to be actual bones, yeah. which is yeah, crazy. It was, it was from whales, yeah. Yeah. But um, anyway, Oscar, our fashion legend, his style was so decadent and extravagant and a total antithesis to the Victorian ideals of etiquette and strict gender norms. He was cutting about in a cape and he had long hair and I wish I had a cape. I wish Honestly, I had a cape. he's he's an icon, he's a legend. He is the moment. He he is in the moment, okay. <laughs> um and I just love the fact that he okay. So he's the most fashionable man in the world at that time, okay? And in 1887 he became the editor of Women's World magazine. Mm-hmm. And in it there are pages devoted to dresses and fashion. And it was Oscar Wilde that encouraged androgyny, you know, including the divided skirt, which was created with his wife, Constance. And this is an early form of culottes. Is that what you call them? I'm trying to that yeah, culottes. Yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. really cool because you like, obviously women were always wearing skirts at that time and even creating something, you know, that looks like a skirt, but is more movable. Like that was a huge, you know, a huge sort of breakthrough fashion wise. Yeah. Just just uh, freedom of movement-wise, yeah. So yeah. important. You know, what if you want to do a cartwheel? You have to, you know, what if Aye. you just... So you get good news and you want to jump for joy, but you can't because you're kind of immobilized in your clothes. Like, it's just not practical. No, no, not good. Yeah. So, okay, let's move on to the famed, and I'm sure you've heard of this, listeners, Celtic Revival. So this And we are is... not talking about... Celtic FC winning the European <laughs> Cup in 1967 or something. We're not talking about that revival. We're talking about a slightly earlier one. Okay. Yes. Just <laughs> Sorry, a Glasgow intrusion there. Okay. No, that's perfectly all right. So, yeah, Celtic, not Celtic. This term is really more of an umbrella for various reactions to modernity throughout the 19th, 20th and 21st centuries in Ireland. Okay, yeah. This, this included... It covers a lot of things. It includes language revival and poetry, literature, fashion, art. I know architecture as well, talking about vernacular mm. houses, all that kind of stuff. There's lots of stuff. And if you ever come to Galway and you kind of you'll see the goods with the guys hanging out with the Celtic knot tattoos, hanging out with the Spanish arch, that's the kind of a version of it that was trickled down to 2023. So it's, yeah, there's all sorts of, it's, it's a very open thing. Uh, yeah, Celtic revival, and um, but for women's fashion in the early 1900s, it meant reimagining the dresses of a mythological island, as much as making clothes that were practical enough to work for the action-packed lives of suffragettes and women soldiers in the Republican movement. Yeah. Yeah, so, and using fabrics like Donegal tweed, Irish wool, linen, and lace. Designers and dressmakers of the time wove our culture into our clothing and ensured that the strong Irish identity was seen not only in the political stances of the Republican movement, but in their clothing as well. Yeah, there's a, there's a lovely example of that. Um, and again, if you come to Galway, you've got the train station here and the train station is named after Eamon Kant. And 
he was a piper and he was mm-hmm. into this kind of um the Celtic the Bible thing as well, and speaking the language and all this. He he led a battalion during the nineteen sixteen uprising and he was executed by the British. But um he was also using clothing as well. And his sister, she designed him a kind of medieval Irish attire. And it oh, was wow. for when he was going to visit the Pope. I think this was the, the late 19th or 20th century. And he went to visit the Pope wearing this um, kind of medieval barred attire. And he went to play his alien pipes for the Pope. And uh, yeah, and it was said it was like the first the first time the Irish an Irish person had played music for the Pope since you know hundreds of years after before the British wow. conquest and all that. So, I, but listeners, this is this is information I got from again Galway City Museum, and um, Brendan McGowan over there was telling me about that. So yeah, that was lovely things, and he also has. Sister also made him a lovely uh, hat as well, kind of red hat as part of this uniform. So yeah, clothing is really in reclaiming fashion or reinventing it. Yeah, it's a, it's it can be a very political thing as well. Yeah, it's how you present yourself to the world, and it's your identity, and you can weave your national identity into that too. That's that's really really cool. Yeah. So that was kind of Irish passion and identity being used up to the the beginning of the the kind of the Republican movement and the kind of up to the rising and all that. And then afterwards, even after independence in the 1930s, so after independence, people in Ireland are trying to find their place in the world. And so that identity again, we're using fashion and stuff. So I mean, the popular one is a classic Aaron Jumper, and um, that definitely solidified Irish craft and culture on the world stage. Aaron Jumper has been made popular by the Clancy Brothers, Grace Kelly, and it's now one of the most widely recognised items of Irish dress today. Even though most of the people you see wearing that are actually tourists or international guests, like someone you and I know, Kerry, we know an international guest. We do. And believe it or not, it's not Taylor Swift who was <gasps> photographed wearing an iron jumper uh, over the pandemic. Okay. Um, it's actually my, my boyfriend, Nick, who is from America and lived in Galway for two years, for the listeners who don't know. And when he was here, I, of course, had to get him an iron jumper for our first anniversary. I mean, come on, it's too good. It's giving Chris yeah. Evans and Knives Out. Men just look great in a cozy jumper. What can I say? They absolutely do. They absolutely do. Yes. So there's a handy tip. Because we give lots of tips in this 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 podcast. We do. If, lads or ladies, if you want an Irish girlfriend, get an iron jumper and watch the ladies flock your way. Okay? Exactly. Okay. Enough of me fawning over Nick. I do that enough off air. So we're gonna zoom towards the 1950s now. So from a nationalist background came fashion designer Nayli Mulcahy. Her mother, Min Ryan, was a founder of Come in the Man. Mm. Nayli is also well known for designing the uniforms for air hostesses of the Irish Aer Lingus. Designed to emulate the green uniforms of Come in the Man, 
the unique skirt suits are known the world over as a symbol of Ireland. Yeah. I've got another wee quote here for you from a, mm-hmm. a Norman Palgate's article. Um, Designers of the 1950s were highly aware that Irishness was their great marketing strength. They used conspicuously Irish fabrics and very often the titles given to each model in the collection were rather laboured evocations of Celticism. Examples taken at random include Iron Gilbert's Kilkenny Marble and Irish Diamond. So you can see, uh, listeners, Irish just became a trendy topic throughout the 20th, 20th century. And it didn't stop there. No, it didn't. Not at all. And I don't suppose you've heard of a little thing called Riverdance? Riverdance? Never heard of it. Never <laughs> heard of it in my life. Explain it to me, Kerry. Okay, so Riverdance was originally a halftime show performance for the 1994 Eurovision Song Contest hosted in Ireland, featuring Irish dancing champions Jean Butler, Michael Flatley, and the vocal ensemble, I think it's Auna, Auna, I'm not sure, with Celtic-inspired costumes and backdrops. Now it is a full-length show consisting mainly of traditional Irish music and dance. And I actually did Irish dance as a child, but I gave it up to focus on ballet, would you believe? Yeah, you mentioned this before. You you did ballet for, what, eight years? I did, but it does sound less cool when you realise that the eight years were from ages four to 12. (laughs) (laughs) I do still like to dance, though my Irish dancing is not up to par. I can't do the high kicks. It's very intense, to be honest. Uh, uh, My dancing would involve definitely a few raves and Mm. my dancing... Um, would have been unique. Definitely. So, yeah. Everybody's trying to have what you have. You've got a unique vibe. And that's, that's what it. you want on the dance floor, you know? That's it. That's it. It's not that you're out your head. It's just you're being unique. That's it. That's right. So we're going to go into the present day. And you mentioned Gucci. And you mentioned GAA. And I have to say, Gucci and GAA are not two things I would naturally associate Mm. with each other but there is a connection there is so following the explosive success of the tv show normal people based on the sally rooney book of the same name there was a strong uptick in interest in the irish actor paul meskell often spotted out and about in a classic pair of o'neill's gaa shorts the fashion world quickly caught on and mega famous italian Luxury brand Gucci mm-hmm. caused a social media meltdown when the brand released its own O'Neill's inspired shorts worth <laughs> 550 euros. Whoa. That's more than my month's rent. Oh my. Labeled as waterproof nylon swim shorts, they are almost indistinguishable from a pair of Mayo GAA shorts. That's, that's amazing. Crazy, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, okay. Okay. You know what? This is wonderful. Irish fashion and the world's taking, you know, all these elements of Irish fashion. What's going to be next? I'm thinking of, if you get back to the Iron Age, I'm, I'm doing a story about Macca tonight, and Macca, her fashion was basically, you know, severed heads hanging from a string around her neck. So I think, you know, I think we could be doing things like that. I think that's the next fashion thing. Severed I think heads. So. I bet you can get severed head themed necklaces on Etsy. That's one of those websites where I feel like you can get anything. Yeah, I think we can get, aye, I think you probably could. 
Whether you would want them, I don't know. You have to look after them mm. quite a bit and polishing them up and I don't yeah. attending ghosts to go with them and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, anyway, I think we have covered everything. I can't think of anything else we haven't covered. Um, I, you now know everything, listeners. That you, there's things you know now that you didn't actually want to know. You know <laughs> it all. But you know what? There's one thing you still need to know, and it's this. Your life will be changed when you have a conversation and a chat with Kerry at the upcoming flea market stall. And Kerry's going to give you the update on that now. Go, Kerry. Yes. So June 4th, pop in your diary, as we said at the top of the episode. Um, I'm going to be selling pre-loved and vintage clothing from my wardrobe, like dresses, skirt suits, funky tops and more. So come on down to Arsnagale on Dominic Street from 12 to 5 p.m. on Sunday, June 4th. So it is not this coming Sunday, but next week. Cool. Brilliant. Um, yeah. And all the articles for this episode, they're going to be in the episode posts. And if you're interested for the reading, check them out. And you can follow us on our socials. So there's the Kerry Graham at the Kerry Graham. She's on Twitter, mm-hmm. Instagram, Substack. I'm uh, I'm on Instagram at uh, Celtic Tales Galway, and Haven Rab on Twitter. And uh, for tickets to the live shows, yeah, you can see the event right link. The shows are going very well. We're having a lot of fun. They certainly so, are. Yeah, they certainly yeah. are, and we. We have to go prep for one tonight. Well, I say we. Rob has to go prep. Yeah, yeah. I have to go eat some breakfast. <laughs> right. Oh, dear God. All right. Yeah. I'll take some shopping yeah. as well. All right. So I think that's yeah. us. That's us. Perfect. Well, I hope you enjoyed, listeners. And yeah, send us an email if we missed anything out. I know we didn't even mention the, the flat cap, the classic, you know, paddy cap. Mm. But I think everyone knows about that. I don't think there's any... I don't think there's any information we we need. You know, no. I think everyone, you know, it's it's modern now. Peaky Blinders has had a resurgent of lads wearing, you know, the turned up skinny jeans and the flat cap on nights out. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's it. I think that's it. Well, I think it's time to say slon. Slon. The Celtic Tales Chronicles is written, hosted and produced by Kerry Graham and Rob Fulton. Edited by Rob Fulton. Cover artwork by Kerry Graham. Music by Kevin McLeod.